I'm writing something down so I will not forget. I know that y'all can't believe that. Now the next issue I will have is reading my handwriting. And then the next issue I will have, this pen is not too dark, but by the grace of God, I'm going to pull it off anyway. Thank you. Good morning. We're in the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Been a great book. This is the final issue that Paul is going to correct the church at Corinth about. He has corrected a lot of problems up to now. Don't forget, once again, this is a corrective epistle. And I think he saves probably the biggest issue for last. He wants this issue to be taken care of. He wants this issue to be the last thing that is kind of uh, in their ears as he closes this epistle. He makes known to us, to them, what they already should know, but seems to have forgotten. And I think this is the apostle at his finest. He says in verse 1, moreover, brethren, or I make known to you, or I want to remind you of something. And he's probably thinking back to verse 38, which he has said, But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So to those who think of themselves as already full of the Spirit, they have changed. They don't have their bodies anymore. They're pneumaticus, people of the Spirit. He pronounces this judgment of their ignorance of his word as the commandment of the Lord because he is speaking by the Lord. And the Lord has said in verse 38, if you want to be ignorant, Paul tells them to be ignorant still. So he says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. These words anticipating what he will say in verses 3 through 5, which gives the context of the gospel Paul preached. He digresses, as Paul usually does for a minute, to remind them the gospel, he says, I preach to you what you received in the past in which you stand, that's presently, verse 2, by which you also are saved, that's in the future. Paul's preaching this gospel is also to which they owe their very existence to. Paul says, if you are provided you, some translation says, you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And this is not to be understood as the apostle doubting their salvation because there's four classes conditioned in the Greek with this little word, if. I'll give you an example. Colossians 1.23 says, Paul speaking, if indeed you continue in the, fir- in, in, in the faith. That's the first class, if. And what that follows is that's true, you could use the word since or because. John 15, 19, Jesus speaking, this is the second class condition of the if in the Greek. He says, if you were of the world, speaking to his believers, the world would love its own because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So 
this is not true. This is a second class. Third class condition, Matthew 4, 9, Jesus speaking, and he says, Jesus, when he's being tempted by Satan, he says, and, and he said to him, speaking of Satan, all these things I will give you if, that's third class condition, if, meaning this is not true. If you fall down and worship me, that's what Satan says. The last class, the fourth class, 1 Peter 3, 14, Peter says, and this means it could be true, but it's doubtful. 1 Peter 3, 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now back to verse two, it says, he's, he continues, he says, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. That's the first class condition. Verse three, for I delivered to you first of all, that which I also receive that Christ died for his own sins. We know that's a lie. I put that in there. He had no sins. We'd be in trouble if he had sins. We'd still be in our sins. So that, that is no, that's not true. The death, the burial, the resurrection, they had received that. They had stood in that gospel, and they were saved by that gospel. Now, Paul is reminding them once again that when I came to you, when I came to you in Corinth, I preached the full gospel to you, not just that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he was buried and then he rose again on the third day. And what Paul is doing in these first 11 verses, he comes in and he, and he said, all right, some of you folks are teaching in the church that there is no bodily resurrection. That's a problem. He said, I'm coming in and I'm preaching to you the single, and I've got only one. I only need one example and I'm going to give you the example of resurrection through Jesus Christ. Of all human history, I only need one. And he's going to take this church of Corinth, and it's really the courtroom as Paul presents his case. The resurrection of Jesus Christ himself is going to disprove what's being taught at Corinth. Now, because Paul is speaking by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't leave anything to chance here in terms of people following what he has to say. He is, as I said, probably the greatest legal mind in, in the Bible. So the apostle Paul, he begins now to call witnesses to the witness stand in the assembly to testify. And he's not content just to say, remember I taught you guys that Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave He's not content with that. He comes and he's going to bring witness after witness after witness to, stand, to the stand to the fact that Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the first witness that he calls to, wit, to the witness stand in verses 1 through 4 is the Corinthian church itself. And what, what he's saying is that the church in Corinth would not even exist apart from the gospel that he's preached. The whole reason that the church exists in Corinth, the whole reason that they received that gospel in Corinth, that they were standing in right now, 
that gospel that were saved in, that they were saved in, is because that the gospel had impacted them through the Spirit of God. So the fact that the church existed in Corinth was a testimony to a living Savior, a resurrected Savior. And if you go back into the book of Acts, you might remember when the apostle Paul came to Corinth, he wasn't in too good of shape. He was pretty defeated and pretty just out of sorts when he came to Corinth. Things hadn't gone well for him in Athens, and he's trying to get his bearings straight right now. And the Lord speaks to Paul. He's been beat up in all these cities. He's been rejected in all these cities and places. Zillions of people have come to the Lord, but he comes to Corinth, and the Lord comes to Paul in a vision. And the Lord Jesus himself, and he says, Paul, no need for you to be afraid as you go into Corinth. I'm not going to let anybody hurt you. Now, that was a fresh, a fresh air, a breath of fresh air for Paul. Jesus says, I've got a lot of people in this city. It might not look like it. I know it looks like nothing right now. It looks like you're going to get thumped once again like Atlanta Falcons do, even though they're 2-0. and But Paul, you don't have to worry about anything. I've got people in this city, and I want you to share the gospel with them. And Paul sort of brightens up, and he preached for a year and a half in Corinth. The only place he ever spent more time was at Ephesus, and it was because of a risen Jesus Christ spoke to him to preach there and spoke on behalf of not just a crucified Savior and a dead and buried Savior, but a risen Savior. And the fact that the gospel had rang true in the Apostle Paul's heart, he believed unto salvation. There was a testimony of the fact that Jesus had risen. And so the first witness was the fact of the existence of the church in Corinth itself. The second witness is in verses 3 and 4 was the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures. Now, notice in verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. But he doesn't stop there. Aren't we glad? According to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So the second witness that he calls to the witness stands to testify to Jesus' resurrection is the scriptures themselves and the Holy Spirit himself, who is the author of the scriptures. The scriptures by the Holy Spirit declared many times in the Old Testament scriptures that when Messiah came, he would not only come to be crucified and die for our sins, Isaiah chapter 53, but following the crucifixion and that death, he would not remain dead long enough for his body even to see corruption. David prophesying by the Spirit of God in Psalm 16, 8 through 11 tells us this, I have set the Lord always before me, David said, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also 
will rest in hope. David says that knowing one day he's going to lay that body down, but he can still rejoice in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One, speaking of Jesus Christ, to see corruption. You will show me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there's pleasures forevermore. And so here you have the Scriptures coming together. The Holy Spirit through the Scripture testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. And then he calls the third witness of Jesus' resurrection to the witness stand. Verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12, which is a reference to the apostle Peter there. Now, we don't know when Jesus saw Peter following his resurrection, but apparently Jesus met him privately with Peter on that Sunday of his resurrection prior to meeting the other apostles in that upper room on, on that Sunday night. And Jesus kind of quietly restored Peter into a place of ministry once again and service to him following his threefold denial of his Savior. Jesus knew that Peter needed that. He needed that special encouragement. And so he gives it to him in John chapter 21, that when, when he then commissioned him publicly there as a leader in the church. But now he calls Peter to the witness stand of the veracity of the truthfulness of Jesus' resurrection. And then he calls the 12 along with Peter, which is kind of the term what was used for the apostles who were with Jesus during, we know, his public ministry. And when Jesus appeared to the apostles and the disciples in that room on the night of the resurrection, Thomas, remember, he wasn't there. He would be present the following week. And, and so, but not all of the witnesses, all at one time, but Jesus caught up with all of them, with a couple of them weeks later. But that word, the 12, it refers to those 12 apostles that had a really a unique privilege of being able to travel with Jesus for three and a half years of ministry. So they were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Verse 6 tells us, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep at the writing of this epistle, Paul says, but some have fallen asleep. That is, some have died. So we don't know just exactly where this happened. It might have happened just before Acts 1 when Jesus was ascending up into heaven. There were 500 disciples there. The scene, they said, were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. It might have been when Jesus met the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee following his resurrection. But there was some point in time where 500 brethren, all at the same time, same event, all of them could be witnesses too. I mean, they could be, and they will be interrogated, and all were alive that day as it was witness to Jesus' resurrection. You know, I can be driving or I could be walking now, being 64 years of old, and I think I see something, and then I can say, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that deer run across the road. Maybe it just I'm just imagining things. But when 500 people agree to seeing something, 
There's a problem there. They, you just can't explain that away. And that's why Paul calls these disciples to the witness stand. And then he calls the sixth and seventh witness to the witness stand. Verse 7, after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, probably referring to the half-brother of Jesus, who then became a leader in the early church. He believed upon Jesus as the Messiah and as his Savior following Jesus' resurrection. And then it says, and then by all the apostles. And remember that the 12 apostles that traveled with Jesus, the ones that are most famous that we know, but there were other apostles. There were many other apostles in that early church. And so, in fact, one of the requirements, remember, it would appear from the scriptures to be an apostle in the early church was to have seen the resurrected Lord. And then he calls number eight witness himself to the witness stand as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Verse eight tells us, then last of all, he was seen by me also. Paul said, you can add me to the list of being a, a witness to the risen Savior. Now, the interesting thing about Paul when he adds himself to the list, it says, then last of all, he was seen by me also. It's here referring to having seen the risen Lord on that Damascus road, which he did not consider really a visionary experience, but an actual resurrection experience of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, as by one born out of due time. Those five words in the Greek is one word, ektroma. It means, the NIV has it right, abnormally born. Traditionally, it has been understood to mean that Paul recognized his own experience to lie outside of the normal process. He was a, a unique, God gave Paul a unique and gracious gift that occurred after the time when such appearances, they say, were understood to have ceased because Jesus would show up in spirit, they would think, but of course his body, he had a, a, a glorified body there, but they just thought they were seeing uh, visions of Jesus here and there. And Paul says, no, I saw the risen Savior. I could touch him. I could talk to him. I could handle him. That's why he spent three and a half years in Arabia, learning from the scriptures of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it says, as by one born out of due time, the New American Standard Bible says, verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Once again, the same verse coming from the NIV says, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, that's important because those five words is one word in the Greek, ektroma. The word refers to any kind of premature birth, abortion, stillborn, or miscarriage. So the word comes to be used figuratively to refer to something horrible or freakish. That's what a lot of the Corinthians were saying about Paul. It has often been said 
that the Corinthians themselves have used to describe Paul, one who, because of his personal weaknesses, and we know all about those because Paul tells us of them, is something, they said, Paul is something of a freak. Paul, in his physical frame, when you see, when you would see him, you wouldn't automatically rush to him and talk to him. But if you took that chance and you would talk to someone who you think you're better and you, and you spend time with them, you tend to get something from them. That's why I think the Lord had his eye on Paul even from birth. When everybody pushed away from him, Jesus Christ was attracted to him. Smart, brilliant man. Paul writes, I'm amazed by this. Paul writes his 13 epistles before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's how on fire he was for the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we know the name Paulus speaks of little, and they dismissed him as a dwarf. But just think when Paul was saved and became a witness to Jesus' resurrection, nobody Nobody wanted to not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead more than the Apostle Paul. He persecuted the church. And yet, here is the one that was so in opposition toward the church and all, and he became a witness to Jesus and to his resurrection. The fascinating thing to me is the angle, because we know Paul is a Jew. He was a Jewish rabbi. And on the mouth of two or three witnesses, the Bible says, let everything, let every word be established. And that's what Paul is doing here. Every word is being established that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And so he's not asking them to have any kind of blind faith or anything or in anyone in terms of the resurrection of Jesus. He said, we've got eyewitnesses for you to the fact that he is risen from the dead. I love those songs this morning. We serve a risen Savior. And then he says in verse 9, for I, Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles. Hmm. Not to me, Paul, you're the greatest of the apostles. And do not even deserve, catch that humility in him. The way up, if you don't believe anything else I say this morning, believe this, the way up is the way down, always. Jesus Christ wrote it like that. that that's, that's the way it works. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So that kind, that, that kind of what he's got, he, he, he was saved out of. He hated the church. He hated Christ. He hated all the things and was fighting against them. And the Lord saved him. And that's not, he's not the last person who got saved like that. Paul never forgets. And that's always healthy to remind ourselves what the Lord pulled us out of. You might have been clean and you might have thought you did everything well, but there was a, there was a pile of miry clay that the Lord had to pull you out because we were all sinful people. Paul never forgets this. And he never loses the awe of being saved by a risen Savior. 
He didn't get bogged down in what he was before he came to know the Lord. A brilliant mind, once again, a brilliant scholar. That didn't phase Paul. He didn't care about the job he had and the money he made and what status of life people saw him. That didn't rattle his heart. What rattled his heart, what pumped him up, what kept him going every morning was his walk with Jesus Christ. Remember David when he fell with Bathsheba and the Lord came to him after that and the Lord said to David, I took you from tending the sheep to make you king over my people, David, over my nation and said, if that was too little for you, David, I would have given you anything that you asked, but you should have never done what you did here. That happened at a time in David's ministry. He kind of forgot where he came from. It's always good to look back to where you came from, to where you were doing all those drugs and driving DUIs and, and disrespecting your parents and, and breaking in this and tearing up that. It's always good to look back and be reminded where the Lord brought you from. It doesn't have to be the same example of mine, but I guarantee you, if you look back, you'll, you'll humble. Humility will come forth from that because you didn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Paul never forgot where he came from. The Bible tells us Jesus out of Jesus' mouth, he who's been forgiven much loves much. That's worship. And sometimes you know you can you can hit a little spot, a place where maybe the word is not as fresh as it once was. The Bible reading has gotten a little dull in our hearts. And then all of a sudden, God gives us that fresh sense of what he has done for us. He's been good to us. And then he's not only saves us, he uses us to identify his name with us and all. And the worship comes back again. Paul never forgot what God had did. Not only that, God has saved him, but what God has saved him out of, what he would still be apart from salvation. And so he says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, never forget it, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. That's what you have to worry about. Are you using the gifts since you've been saved? Are you benefiting Jesus Christ? Paul was. Paul says, but I labored more abundantly than all they, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That's true. Is that true for you guys this morning? By the grace of God, you are what you are. As we serve the Lord, you know, it's like, how can we change where we came from? How can we change what we were before we came to know him? I used to want it to do that. 
with my two sisters and my one brother graduating from college, some of them having their doctor degree, some of them have their master's degree, and I had the opportunity. But I was thinking about just doing other things. And I used to, that used to drive me crazy. I had the same opportunity they had. But God spoke to me. He says, you're right. You, you took another road, but I had my eye on you the whole time. And I've made you something. And don't let anybody or anyone tell you that you're not love, that you're not just as good as anyone else or anybody else because you're my child. Not that you teach the word, but that you're walking in my word and I'm your God. I've got my hand on you. As Ezra would say, the good hand of the Lord is upon me. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's upon you also. God had the grace not only to forgive us and not only to save us, but then to use us and make us a hundred times the trophy of his grace that we would be otherwise. He says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't empty, he said. Paul says, but I labored abundantly than they all. Once again, speaking of the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. It wasn't with me because of my greatness, it wasn't with me because of my great depth of knowledge of anything. It was with me because Paul said he used to quiver and shake before he would present the word. Because he was unqualified. And he needed the Lord to endue him with power. The apostle Paul, he traveled more miles than any other apostle. Established more churches, more missionary journeys wrote more epistles by the Spirit of God of all of the rest of the guys. The Lord had really used him, and he recognized that it was the grace of God. And he says in verse 11, Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed, Corinthians. Paul is saying here, listen, of all the witnesses that I've laid out, all the way from the existence of the church to my witness here. All of these that I've laid out, each one of them testifies to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the message that they had communicated. Not only Paul to them, but others had communicated to them. This is the gospel. This is what they had believed in. It's why the church existed. Now the apostle Paul's, Paul then moves to verse 12, and he begins to speak to them about the consequences of not believing in the resurrection. You know, because everything else that we believe as a person, everything that we believe as a Christian is going to have consequences in our lives. If it's in our mind, if it's in our heart, it's going to be on our lips. It's going to play out in our lives. And so that 
what we believe, it does have consequences. And Paul just wants them to understand the consequences if they continue to believe this way. All right, he says, you're not going to believe in the resurrection? Then let's just kind of think this through. And let's see what this consequences of not believing in the bodily resurrections are. He says in verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? The first thing he says, listen, in light of all of these witnesses I've just presented to you, who in the classroom would raise their hands under the weight of Isaiah, David, all of the apostles, all of the eyewitnesses that the Holy Spirit himself has witnessed, who would like to now raise their hand and come against all of those witnesses? Anyone? That's what he's kind of saying there in verse 12. He says in verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And that's a problem. That's a great problem. We can turn the lights off, close the doors, and go home. No hope. He says, listen, they were, I want you to understand, they were not teaching in Corinth against the resurrection of Jesus. It was worse than that. They were teaching that there was no such thing as resurrection. Paul is just reminding them that you better think about what you're saying, what your beliefs are. And he brings it right to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 13 again, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And so that's the first consequence of rejecting the truth of the resurrection. Christ is not risen. Dig a hole, jump in it, and that's the end of it. Paul is saying you cannot believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, and he goes on to say in verse 14, and if, and if Christ is not risen, that's the second class, that's not true. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Live, do what you want to do if Jesus has not risen from the dead. It's like, and I love hot dogs, by the way. Nothing more, any better than a good beef hot dog that's grilled right. Oh, man, don't get me started one after the other. I love them, hot dogs. It might show. But I'm reminded what my son says as we were fixing the hot dogs on the grill one day. He said, Daddy, no ketchup. No mustard, no flavor, even in a good hot dog. It's the same thing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No death, no burial, no resurrection, no hope. And that's what they were believing in. There's no salvation, and that's not good news. No gospel, no gospel is complete or can accurately be called good news that does not have an answer for death. That's what I need. I need an answer for death. I would rather, if I had my choice in my way, I'd rather be raptured. I could miss death, no big deal to me. I would love to miss it. But if I have to go through it, 
I want to go through it knowing that I'm going to be with Jesus Christ when I, when I leave this absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. I'm reminded, we just studied the book of Joshua, and I'm reminded of Caleb and what, of all the things that could have been put on his gravestone, Caleb was known for following the Lord. Five times as Joshua spoke of Caleb, it said that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. He would say something else about Caleb, and he would say, he wholly followed the Lord. What will it say on your tombstone? What will you be known for when you leave this earth? I ask this question. I heard one statistician many years ago, and I dug it up. He broke it down. A lifespan into a single day. One lifespan to a single day. Listen up. If you're 15 years old, starting at 12 midnight, going to 12 midnight, it's 1025 in the morning, a.m. If you're 20 years old, it's 1134 in the morning. I should... Have everybody start with their hands raised, and when you get to, and then when I get your age, you put it down. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but think about it. If you're 25 years old, it's 12:42 in the afternoon. If you're 30 years old, it's 1:51 p.m. in the afternoon. If you're 35 years old, then it's three o'clock. In the afternoon. If you're 40 years old, it's 4.08 in the afternoon. The day is slipping away, isn't it? If you're 45, it's 5.15. If you're 50 years old, it's 6.25. Midnight is coming. If you're 55, it's 7.30. It's time for Wednesday service. If you're 60 years old, it's 8.42 in the evening, 60 years old. If you're 65, I might as well throw my hand up. It's 9.51 p.m. And if you're 70 years old, it's 9 o'clock at night. And anything over that 70 is past midnight. God is gracious. You're still here. There's things God wants you to do. You don't get a certain age. You shouldn't get a certain age and say, well, I can just kick back and take it easy and just lie around and let the days just go. You, you shouldn't do that. I'm, 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 I'm glad of Maryland still going out witnessing doing those things. So I think of D.L. Moody, became a minister, did things, but really became a minister outreach when he became 70 years old. 
And from 70 years old to the time he died, that's what he's known for, his, his missionary trips and all those things, starting at 70 years of age. God has something for everyone to do at every age you are. I was supposed to bring a, a plaque up here today. I put it in a frame. I might have been 32. I might have been 35 at the time. But I remember a little girl, her, na her name was Morgan Hickey, and she was in middle school. And we had just got a room upstairs at Gwinnett, and that was going to be the middle school room. And I said, okay, we need to name this room. We need to name this room. And all the kids went home and wrote down, boy, crazy names, by the way, but I love them all. And Morgan Hickey, Dia Villa now, did I pronounce that right? Mary, there she is. She came and she brought uh, uh, this all her doing, I'm sure David didn't have much to do with it, but she brought it in a frame, a white cardboard, and I'm going to bring it, in, Lord willing, and the next time I'm up here teaching, I was supposed to bring it today, but hey, you know me, I forgot. It, it blew me away and had a heart. On, all she had was a heart on the, on the poster board, and, it's, and, a door, and a door opened. Then you've seen the heart, and the name of it, Room for God. And it blew me away. What it asked me, what I thought, of, is there room for God in my heart? And I, I, I guess she got it from the NIV because I never could put it together. And I ran home and grabbed the NIV. I said, oh, there it is. Beautiful. And I kept it, and it's upstairs in my attic right now. I was supposed to bring it. Just a door open, and as the door opened up, a heart was there, and it says, room for God. I was 30-something years old when she gave me that. I still have it. It touched me so much. I've seen her. She's married now to a godly man and walking with the Lord. What I'm saying, it happens in a blink of an eye. It happens in a blink of an eye. We walk with the Lord. We should take every day and make it intentional. We shouldn't have time for pettiness and all these things that I get into a lot. We should be serving the Lord because it's ticking. It's ticking. And come on, it's not so bad when you know the Lord, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We say all those things, but we want to stay here as long as we can. But God is good. God is gracious. He's a good God. And we serve a living God. Pastor Jonathan would be talking about Jesus is the first fruits. And if he resurrected, we're going to resurrect in this. Not going to be a ethereal, not going to be a, 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 you can reach through me on the other side and all that. I'm going to have a physical body just like he had. I can't wait to pass through my first wall. I can't wait to go from here to Mars if there's a Mars in the blink of an eye. I think I'm going to be able to do all those things with my resurrected body. But that's what it's going to be like. And Paul is trying to get these Corinthian men and women to understand if the gospel does not provide me with the victory over death as a sinner, then that gospel it's empty preaching. I don't need it. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to say in the face of death. I don't need it. If it has nothing to say to mankind who is doomed to die in man's sinful condition, 
but the gospel of Jesus Christ provides us with victory over sin. It provides us the gospel of Jesus Christ, victory over death. It provides us everything that we need for this life and the life to come. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he did. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to understand the consequences of what they're preaching. If Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty in the face of man's need and your faith is also empty if there is no resurrection. Paul is saying, just close the doors and call it, just give up. Verse 15, he says, as another consequence, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. Paul says, if you're going to teach and you're going to allow this teaching in the church that there is no resurrection from the dead, then you have made every one of us liars as apostles because that's what we have preached to you. You've made Isaiah a liar. You made David a liar. You made all the Old Testament prophets a liar. You made the apostles a liar. Everyone who've ever believed in the gospel is a liar. He tells us in verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, hmm, your faith is futile. Your faith is empty because you are still in your sins. That's how important it is. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, Paul puts it this way, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's resurrection. That's him getting out of the tomb. If he didn't get out of the tomb, we'd still be in trouble. But he's out of the tomb. And we are the recipients of that gift. We are victors in Christ. We're on the winning team if we've been born again. We don't have, listen, we don't have to worry. You might worry, you might, you shouldn't. We don't have to worry laying this body down. We don't have to worry about that if we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. As Joshua told the children of Israel as they were going over the Jordan. You've never been this way before. Keep your eye on me. That's all it is. We've never been that way before. But we will see him, and I believe we will see him coming to us as we go to him. Keep your eye on Jesus. That's all you have to do. And before you know it, you'll be in the promised land. I think Jesus, I wish I was a comedic guy, but I'm not. I like dramas. But I think Jesus, is, I think he's a, a laughable dude. I think Jesus, because he, he hears what we say and, and how we expound on the word and when we talk about the Bible. And I bet Jesus says every time he takes someone by the hand and takes them home, because everybody says it. I guess it's to console people. I bet Jesus says, you want to? 
look back and see your wife? You want to look back and see your grandmother and your mama? No, no. They don't look back. They don't want to look back. I don't care how much you will love down here. When we see him, what's to look back for? And I'm glad that my brother didn't look back. I'm glad my dad did not look back. I'm glad when I go, I'm not looking back. No matter how much I love you, I'm not looking back. That's the Jesus I know. He's a risen Savior. The worship team can come up. He would be a cruel God, and I know he's not. For me to ever, on my deathbed, to ever want to look back like Lot as if I'm going to miss something down here. I'm not. You're not. We're not. We, we serve a risen Savior, a good Savior, who will carry us from here to eternal things. He's promised us that if we follow him. Let's pray. Father, you're good. You're so good to us. You're so good that you sent your one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners like us. And you have eternal things in store for us right now. And I believe you're giddy. I believe you can't wait to get us home. And then it's a tearjerker because you know the sorrow and the heartache and the pain for when we are separated down here. And it's a tough position. And you didn't bring that into the world. Man brought that into the world. But you made the best out of it, Lord. You love us. Lord, give us grace to walk upright before you. Give us grace to honor you. Give us grace not to get caught up in petty things, but to keep our eyes on you and to serve you while we have time, while it's still day, while we still can move, while we still have opportunities to serve you, to be a part of serving you. Lord, give us grace to do that. We don't have time for being petty, but give us grace to keep our eyes on you and serve you and love one another. Keep us, Lord. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our soon and coming King. It's in his name I ask these things. Amen. Let's